morning, SunWest. Uh, welcome again to Church at Home. Uh, SunWest exists to guide all people into a lifelong relationship with Jesus. Uh, and in many ways, now that uh, we're doing Church at Home, uh, hopefully it's giving more people an opportunity uh, to journey with us as we follow Jesus together. Our core four at SunWest is to know God, find freedom, uh, discover purpose, and make a difference. And one of the key ways that we help people to know God is through a hearing God seminar, and uh, there's one more. Uh, we, we're one week in, and we let people kind of register up until the second week. And so, if you haven't registered yet, would like to take it. Uh, we invite you to participate in that. We had 35 people uh, last week for week one. Uh, it's just a great opportunity, maybe in this season, to to be intentional about learning how to hear God's voice uh, and and understanding how He speaks to you, because we believe that He can that He does speak to every single person. Uh, and He's speaking right now, and uh, we just need to develop the the ears to hear what he's saying. And so uh, if you would love to take that course, uh, you can register on online to do that. Uh, this week, we're continuing our series in Mark, and I've titled uh, the sermon this morning, The Open Table. And uh, we are going to cover more ground this morning than we have in any other sermon uh, yet in this sermon series. Last week, we really focused on one small portion of scripture and one phrase within that scripture, the, uh, the phrase he was about to pass by. Uh, and this morning we're kind of doing the exact opposite of that. So here is the breadth of what we're talking about this morning, all the way from uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, to the beginning of Matthew chapter 8. And you're thinking, how are we going to cover this? Uh, you didn't give up your whole Sunday, did you? Uh, and so I, I believe that Mark is actually uh, using multiple stories here to communicate uh, a similar a similar point. They are all working together uh, for one theme. And so we're not going to maybe dive specifically into all the stories, uh, but I hope as we pull back at this level, you'll see um, the theme that Mark is trying to bring about. And I think it'll become pretty obvious as, as, we, as we look at it. The main two stories we're going to look at are the two feeding stories uh, where Jesus, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then Jesus feeds the 4,000. And we'll talk about the pieces that are around those two stories a little bit um, as well. As, as you may have remembered, uh, the word immediately is happening throughout Mark at the beginning of Mark. And so uh, there's only 47 times, I think, in the New Testament that this word is used uh, immediately. And 42 of those times are in these first eight chapters of Mark. And so it is going very, very quickly. Uh, the story is going quickly, and there, there's, no, uh, there's no part in Mark that is more quick and more complex uh, than this section uh, right here. So let's, let's just dive in right away with uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000. So Jesus, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus sent out the disciples to do ministry, and they came back and they reported everything that, that, they, uh, that what, what had happened. Uh, and now they were trying to find a place of rest after uh, an intense time of ministry, an intense time of work, long days. Uh, they want to find rest, so they get in a boat and they try and get away uh, and retreat and, and go to a quiet place, uh, except uh, that Jesus' ministry, uh, or Jesus was so popular because of the ministry he was doing, that people ran around the lake, <clears throat> excuse me, they ran around the lake um, trying to catch up to him. And so when they, they crossed the lake, and they ran on foot to the other side. Uh, they get out of the boat, and the people were there waiting for them yet again. And the text says that Jesus had compassion on them. That Jesus had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. He looked at them, and even though he was tired, even though the disciples were, were tired, he could not not help them, could not not teach them, uh, minister to them. And so he moves into ministry mode to meet the needs of the people. And so he taught them. 
<clears throat> and there's all these people and the disciples come to him. They, they say, everybody's hungry. They need something to eat. None of them had, uh, none of them had food. Uh, and they, they just ran. They weren't maybe thinking. They didn't plan ahead of time. They didn't have food. Uh, and I, I can um, relate to that because when I was in school, uh, I very rarely ever took a lunch to school. Uh, and I didn't have any money. And so I went to school every day with with no plan other than begging people for money. And so day after day, I would sit around the cafeteria area or the or the gym area, and I would just ask people if they had money, and I'd collect 25 cents here or there. And at the time, I, just for $3.50, somewhere in that ballpark, I was able to provide for myself every single day. Um, and so I was a beggar at an early age, providing for myself uh, through others. And so here we have a situation uh, where 5,000 people basically pull a mat. They, they show up for the day, didn't have a plan, didn't have a lunch, uh, and, and they're hungry, and uh, they weren't anywhere close where they could get some food. So the disciples are saying, send them away, get them to go to a, a village so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Uh, you do it. And the disciple says, we don't have enough money. This would cost a fortune to feed all of these people. And so Jesus asked the question, uh, how, many, how many loaves? How, how much bread do we have? And so the disciples uh, kind of look around and they find that there's five loaves and apparently two fish among the 5,000 people in the crowd. And so Jesus gives thanks. He takes the loaves, he gives thanks, he breaks the bread, and he gives the bread to the disciples for them to divide among all of the people. Here's the five loaves. There's 5,000 people here. Now take these, divide among all of the people. And then the, the story says that all of the people ate and were satisfied. And then at the end of the story, there was 12 baskets of leftovers left. So not only did Jesus provide for all of those people based on the on just this the little amount of loaves that they had, uh, there was leftovers. There was more than enough. People were satisfied, and there was more at the end than they even had at the beginning. What a miraculous, amazing story! And uh, and so the story takes place in Galilee, uh, which is in the or in some of these in this region, and uh, in this Jewish territory. As we've we've seen, Jesus is back uh, in that area uh, doing ministry there. And just to recap a little bit of what happened, there was five thousand people. And if, I, if we were together on a Sunday morning in person, I would uh, just make sure you're with me and say, hey, say 5,000. And so if you're at home, say 5,000. There you go. And then there's five loaves. Say five loaves. There was 12 baskets. Say 12 baskets. And they were in Galilee, in Jewish territory. And so 5,000 people, five loaves, 12 baskets in this Jewish territory of Galilee. That's the first feeding story of the 5,000. Now we, we're going to skip the middle section. Uh, there's a lot that happens in the middle section. Jesus walks on water. He heals the sick. Uh, he he challenges the religious norms with the Pharisees that came up from Jerusalem, uh, who uh, were were testing him on religious laws and that they seemed like Jesus was ignoring. And Jesus is saying, "You missed the point." Uh, there's the Syrophoenician woman, which we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. Uh, Jesus heals the deaf man, and then we're back into another feeding story. Um, the feeding of the 4,000. You're like, didn't Jesus tell the story already? I mean, it's the exact same story. The, the exact same events of the first story are almost repeated with a couple of differences. And so a great crowd gathered. They had nothing to eat. They all pulled a mat, uh, showed up again, didn't have any plans for lunch. He calls the disciples to them, to him, and, and the text says that he had compassion on them. And his heart went out to them uh, because they had been three days without food. 
And so the disciples asked a similar question again. How can one feed these people uh, with, with bread in this desolate place? And Jesus says to them again, how many loaves do you have? The disciples said, we have seven. So Jesus took the seven loaves, same thing as the first story. He broke the loaves. He gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And then it says all of them ate and were satisfied. And at the end, after everybody had, had eaten, there was uh, seven basketfuls of leftovers. And it said that all 4,000 people had eaten uh, that day. So a couple of differences. This story takes place in Decapolis. And so just really quick background. If you remember, a few weeks ago, we, we had the sermon about uh, the demonized man with had a legion of demons, and Jesus set him free. And that was in this reason, region. And, and Jesus told him, or he asked Jesus if he could follow him and come with him. And Jesus said, no, you can't. Go back and tell, uh, tell everyone what God has done for you. And so, G, so this, this man went back into the Decapolis region, this area of 10 cities, which is what the word means, and told everybody what Jesus has, had done. And so this man had basically set the ground, the environment, the soil for Jesus' ministry, which is now happening at this point in the story of Mark. So here we go. Recap, there's 4,000 people in the second feeding story. There's seven loaves. There's seven baskets of leftovers in the region of Decapolis, this Gentile region. Two stories, almost, ident almost identical to the point that some people think that Mark maybe just retold the same story twice, the same event twice. Uh, but the truth is that they're very different, even though they're very similar. And so we need to pay attention to those differences. Now pay attention to what happens right after this second feeding story. There's a, there's a conversation in Mark 8, uh, 11 uh, to 21, uh, the Pharisees are demanding a sign, and then Jesus has some dialogue, and, and pay attention to what happens. It says, now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of, of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of, full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And then he said to them, do you not yet understand? To which they said, no. And to which you and I say, no, Jesus, this is crazy. Why are you talking in code? Uh, and so we're going to get to what he's getting at and what he's meaning here uh, as we look at the pieces around the story. Uh, but if you look at the pieces within these two stories, just very quickly, in the Jewish world, numbers were not just numbers. And you'll see this throughout uh, the biblical text that numbers were also symbolic of other things. 5,000 or the number five, often in reference to the law or the Pentateuch, with the first five books of the Old Testament, which is a significant foundation for the identity of the Jewish people. It was the law, the, the five books that God gave them to identify them as God's people. If you look at 4,000, the number four represents universality, the four corners of the earth, four different directions. In Luke chapter 13, verse 29, it says, Then people will come from east, west, from north, and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. If you look at the number 12, 
uh, is symbolic throughout Scripture, 12 tribes of Israel. And then when Jesus is, is bringing a new people into himself in the New Testament, he calls how many apostles? 12 apostles. You look at the number seven. Seven is symbolic of completeness and perfection. We have seven deacons and acts. We have the table of nations in the Old Testament that are 70 nations. And, and we see references to this number even in the book of Revelation in, refer, in reference to completeness and wholeness and the whole world. The word for baskets, uh, we don't see it in the English text, but uh, Mark uses two different words for baskets, and one word in the first story, another word in the second story. The first word, kofanos, which was a basket used in the daily feeding of the Jews in Jerusalem. It's a Jewish basket. It comes from the Jewish culture. If we look at the, the second word of baskets, it's a Greek word, uh, or it refers to a Gentile type of basket. It's a different kind of basket being referred to there. And as we saw, the first place that Jesus did the first feeding was in the region of Galilee, a Jewish land, and the place that he did the second feeding was in this Gentile region in Decapolis among uh, non-Jewish people there. So that's a bit of the context of what how those stories are different and the symbolism that Jesus is drawing in uh, and inviting his disciples who are, have a bunch of questions to reflect and think about what is Jesus actually doing? What's actually happening? Good question. Now let's look at a story in the middle of that story, the Syrophoenician woman. Um, and this story takes place in the region of Tyre, which is up here in, in uh, another place outside of the Jewish region in Gentile lands. And, and here's the story really quickly. Uh, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, there's the word again, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, and he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But, he ans- but she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For for this statement, you may go your way, and the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So just really quickly, this is a powerful, significant moment that Mark Sandwich is right in the middle of the two feeding stories. And it's in the region of Tyre, like I said. This is a Gentile region. And this woman is a loser in that culture on three accounts. First, that she's female, uh, that she... Uh, that this interaction between a Jewish man and this Gentile woman would be discouraged even just based on their gender and the status that would have been uh, that they each would have had. Uh, secondly, she's Greek, uh, which means she's Gentile. Automatically, this puts her on the wrong side of a barrier. We got the Jewish barrier, we got the Gentile barrier, this Greek barrier. Uh, she is not from the same race, ethnicity as Jesus. Uh, she's of Syrophoenician origin. And that's an identification of her race and her religion. It links her to the Canaanites, uh, the enemies of Israel in the Old Testament, and, and links her to the Queen Jezebel, the wicked queen in the Old Testament as well. And so by all these accounts, she is part of them, not part of us, according to the mentality of the Jewish people. And then Jesus has this conversation first, and he's talking about you know feeding the children before the dogs. And, uh, and we must recognize throughout the biblical story that the plan of God all along from the very beginning when he called Abraham to himself was to bring a people to himself to be a blessing to the nations. 
Jesus did not elect or call people to himself just for the sake of having a people for himself. He called them for a missional purpose to bless and impact the entire world. And so Jesus here is referring to that, that, that he's coming first to feed the Jewish people because they were the ones who were first called but for the sake of the world. And now it might seem like Jesus is insulting this woman by calling her a dog. And there's a play on words happening here because the, the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, were referred to as dogs by Jewish people. They're referred to as less than human, not as elite as us. And Jesus here does not use the word dogs. He actually changes it and uses the Greek word for puppies. He's doing a play on words. He's using a word of endearment, actually. There's a tongue-in-cheek happening here that we don't quite see in the English text. And so Jesus is interacting with this woman. She is one of them, not one of us. Uh, there's so many reasons why she was on the outside looking in and Jesus should not have been doing this, but Jesus reaches through these barriers, breaks the barriers, and has this conversation. Obviously, the woman came because of her demon-possessed daughter, but Jesus uh, uses this conversation and, and, and they reference this eating kind of symbolic uh, event where he's feeding children and they're talking about crumbs uh, being left for the puppies. And we see here that Jesus did not come just to feed Jewish people, but he came to bring food to the whole world. And Jesus honors this woman's faith because she sees something that even his disciples don't yet see. Now, what does this all mean? Well, I think you're starting to see it. I think you're starting to hear it. You're starting to get a, a glimpse and a feel for how these stories are working together and uh, and what Jesus is up to. But before we keep going, before we unpack this a little bit further, further, I've got one more feeding story for you. Uh, and this feeding story comes from one of our own people here at SunWest, uh, Mary Lee, uh, one of our worship leaders, uh, actually experienced a miraculous feeding story. And so I've invited her to share with us about that story. So back in 2007, I had the opportunity to go to Mozambique, Africa for a few months to do a ministry school with Iris Ministries. And primarily their ministry is a large orphanage on the base uh, where I was living, but we also would do evangelism surrounding villages, uh, medical aid, and just generally trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people around us. And one way that we would do that is we would have a meal that we'd provide to the community every day. So anyone that would need food could come and get it. And usually on any given day, we'd serve just under 100 people, mostly widows and single moms and a lot of children from the surrounding town. And there was this one day where we had jumped in the back of our truck and we grabbed our buckets of food one of rice, which we always had, and one of beans, which was my personal favorite. And we drove down to the field that we served the meal in. And we got set up, started dishing out the food, and almost immediately we realized that we were in trouble. Every bench was packed, and people were still pouring into the field. Someone did a quick head count, and um, they came back and they said, there's already 150 people, and they're still coming. We did not have enough food to feed everyone that day. And so we talked about it uh, to ourselves and we thought, well, should we go back to the kitchen and see if there's more food? But we knew that the kitchen would have already given the food to the kids at the orphanage. And then we thought, well, maybe we should ration the food, just serve a half a portion. But these people that were coming 
This was likely their only meal of the day that they would get. And so by this time I'd already been in Africa for a little while and I'd seen God do some pretty incredible things. I'd seen multiple healings, um, you know, people that had blindness that were completely restored, broken bones that were healed before my eyes. And we had heard of two separate incidents where um, God had multiplied the food for the children. And so we thought, we're going to pray for God to multiply this food. And so every bowl of rice that would come to me, I would ladle a full helping of beans on. And we would pray, God, multiply this food. Multiply this food. And we were about halfway through the meal when we looked down and we realized we weren't running out of food. In fact, uh, we'd barely made a dent in the bucket. That day we served every single person that came for the meal. Every mouth was fed. And we didn't just have barely enough. We had more than enough. We had excess in our buckets left over. And Matt talked last week about that moment where God passed by Moses and he passed by Elijah and Jesus passed by the disciples in, in the water. And there was a moment where I looked at this little boy's face and I saw him eating this meal that God had literally created out of thin air just for him. And I remember thinking in that moment that this is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God being fully revealed on earth in this moment in the red dirt in Africa. And I got to see God's power and his love and his compassion on full display. Wow, what a powerful story. Thanks, Mary, for sharing that. Um, it's quite moving to know that you know God works powerfully to bless people and meet their needs not only 2,000 years ago, but continues to do that in miraculous ways today. And we think of the miracles that Jesus has done and the ones that he continues to do. <clears throat> we must see that it's not simply about showing off. It's not just simply about him showing how powerful it is. He is. If it was just about showing off, then we have to ask the question, why didn't he just like shoot out fireballs from heaven or fly around like Superman uh, if he just wanted to demonstrate how amazing and powerful he was? So why was he doing these miracles? Because his main point is not to get across the power, his power, but the main point of his miracles is to show you the redemptive purposes of his power. You and I and the people at this time Think of miracles mainly as spectacles, that it's a suspension of the natural order that God comes in and interrupts into something supernatural. But I don't think that's what miracles are mainly about. Listen to what Jürgen Moltmann said about miracles, which I think is just so profound. He's a, uh, he's a German uh, theologian, and he puts it like this, Jesus' healings are the only truly natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Jesus' healings are the only natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that God didn't make the world the way that it is today. When God created the world, there was no hunger, there was no starvation, there was no blindness, there was no leprosy, there was no poverty, there was no disease, there was no COVID, there was no death. Those things are unnatural, even though they might be normal to us. They're unnatural. That means that miracles show us that Jesus is no happier with the world in the way that it is right now than we are. 
The miracles of Jesus are not primarily suspensions of the natural order, but they're restorations of the natural order. That's so significant. They're pointing back to the world the way that it was, and they're pointing forward to the world the way it will be when God remakes the the heavens and the earth. And they're actually pointing towards a world in the future, the kingdom of God coming fully, a world that we are fully citizens of as children of God today. We are citizens of that kingdom today, a kingdom that is here and not yet. And so, one last thing. Remember when Jesus asked the, what Jesus asked the disciples after the feeding miracle? It says, let's read this again. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you not discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Now, let's pull back a little further and pay attention to the other miracles that are happening in this section of Mark. What happens in Mark chapter 7? Jesus heals a deaf man so he can hear. What happens in Mark chapter 8? Jesus heals a blind man, but the blind man is only partially healed in the first touch. You know, Jesus spits and, and touches his eyes, um, and he, he, Jesus asks him, what do you see? And he, he doesn't see people, but they kind of look like trees, and he's starting to see a little bit more clearly, but doesn't see completely clearly. And then Jesus touches him again, and then he sees clearly. What is Mark trying to show us? I believe that we, like the blind man, are in between a first and second touch. I believe we, like the people that are deaf, the people uh, that are blind in the stories of Mark, um, can't see and can't hear quite properly. We are like the disciples in the story that are getting glimpses of this God that is at work, but we can't quite comprehend what exactly is happening. Primarily here in Mark, we must see and must hear that the table of God is an open table. Yes, these stories are miraculous. Yes, they're profound. But don't miss the redemptive purpose of these stories. There is no us in them. As people who are saved by God and in a relationship with God, your primary role as a citizen of his kingdom, as a co-partner with God, is to create an environment where every race, ethnicity, every religious person, every atheist, every poor, rich, strong, weak, every person is invited to the dinner table. God's provision is more than enough. You don't need to worry Because God's provision, his grace, and his love is actually for everybody. We are like the blind man at the end of this whole section who are in between two touches. We've been touched by Jesus. Yes, we recognize that he's called us. We're following him. And yet we don't quite see clearly all the time. We are a work in progress. And by the grace of God, I hope that we begin to see clearly. That we begin to recognize that God is at work in a profound way and that he's inviting us like the disciples. He says, you feed them. He, does, he doesn't tell the disciples to do anything they can't do. Jesus is the miraculous one. Jesus is the one who's doing all the work, but yet he doesn't do it by himself. He invites the, the disciples into the story of the feedings and he says, you feed them. You do what you can do and trust me to do the rest. So son of us, may we do what we can do. May we recognize that the kingdom of God, the table of God is actually an open table that there's no qualifications other than humility and grace to come and receive from our king. May we be co-partners with God and invite everybody to the table. May we not create us and them lines of division. I mean, I look around in the world right now, and I'm disappointed to see that, you know, 2,000 years after Jesus, that, that racism, prejudices, you know, all these things that we thought, you know, we would advance beyond are just as alive and well today as they have ever been. 
We need to be a people from the future kingdom living as citizens today that is creating a table that every tribe, tongue, and nation is a part of, and we get to be a glimpse, a foretaste of the coming kingdom uh, today in our world. And may that be so. Amen.